0: If I'd have gotten here in time, I'd have done this. <laughs> yeah, yeah. When you're a kid, at least growing up as a boy, sticks are amazing things. You give a kid a stick, he's good all day. Got a flagpole. Got a sword. For a preacher, they're incredible. Because you can use them on Sundays to wake up people who go to sleep during worship. If you're a Southern Baptist, handy-dandy in a deacon's meeting. (laughs) But you can do amazing things with a stick. And our series today on rocks wraps up, and in this series, a stick meets a rock, and something incredible happens. And so this morning, we're going to go into a passage of Scripture and take a look at that as we think once again about how God uses rocks in the Bible to teach us amazing lessons about Him who He is and who He created us to be. So if you would, bow your heads and hearts, let's pray together as we continue our celebration this morning. God, You are good. We celebrate the moments You've given us this week. We celebrate the way that You've been working our lives. We celebrate all that You've been doing. And God, we thank You for the opportunities we've had today in this place to celebrate You. I pray that even now, as we continue that celebration, as we sing, as we worship through Your Word, I pray that we would catch a glimpse once again of who you have called us to be. Heavenly Father, I pray that we would be compelled, encouraged, challenged, and strengthened to go there. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. As you take your seats, go ahead and open your Bibles to the Old Testament. Exodus, Exodus 17, verses 1 through 7 is where we go this morning. And we're going to talk about God rocks. Uh, We're going to end our series by thinking about God, and just how he works for a few moments. As we have plowed through and took an interesting look, an interesting journey, if you will, that even carried us through the Easter season as we talked about the way that God has used rocks in scripture to show us some things about himself, reveal some things about himself, and remind us of some things that we need to know. And so today uh, we wrap this series up by looking at the first seven verses. Let me read them to you. And then you can follow along and we unpack those just a little bit. It says this. The entire Israelite community left the wilderness of sin, moving from one place to the next, according to the Lord's command. They camped, at refit them, but there was no water for the people to drink. And so the people complained to Moses, give us water to drink. Why do you complain to me? Moses replied to them. Why are you testing the Lord? But the people thirsted there for water and grumbled against Moses. And they said, Why did you ever bring us out of Egypt to kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst? Then Moses cried out to the Lord, What should I do with these people? In a little while, they'll stone me. And the Lord answered Moses, Go on ahead of the people and take some of the elders of Israel with you. Take the staff you struck the Nile with in your hand and go. I'm going to stand there in front of you on that rock at Horb, And when you hit the rock, water will come out of it and the people will drink. Moses did this in the side of the elders of Israel. And he named the place Massa and Meribah because the Israelites complained because they tested the Lord saying, is the Lord us among us or not? Interesting story. Story about a journey that a group of people are on, a journey about a leader who is taking this group of people, God has delivered them in miraculous ways and moves them into a situation where they're thirsty. And so it's a stick and a rock and once again God moves. And so we're going to drill down into that just a little bit this morning and, and look at it and see if there's some things that we can discover that help us understand not only what's going on here, but understand some things that will help us in our own journey of faith. And if we can, then it's been a good day. Uh, there was a man whose wife was turning 32 in just a few days. She wasn't dreading it. 32 is not old. She knew that. But at the same time, she was not looking forward to it. Puts him in a tough spot. What do you do? don't want to make a big deal of it, but don't want to ignore it. And so he was trying to get in front of it just a little bit. And So he went out of his way to tell her, don't get, too, don't get your hopes up too much for your birthday. He said, after all, the celebrations are only going to be a half minute. And she said, what? He said, because it's your 32nd birthday. <laughs> <laughs> See, he was trying to set expectations where it needed to be, right? And so I think that part of what's going on in this passage is expectations and understanding what it is that God is doing and understanding the relevance of what is happening in this situation or scenario. And I think that sometimes when we read the stories, we go through them too quick and we don't get it. But at other times, sometimes the lessons are so obvious that we miss them. And so today I want to make sure that we drill down into this enough to make sure that we understand what we're talking about. And so... um, We've been on a journey so far where we started with remembering rocks, and we looked at how that rock memorial that was set up by this same group of travelers, another generation, helped them remember what it is that God had done and what he was doing. We talked about Easter rocking, we talked about that stone that rolled away that day and all that it meant, and the stones that would have cried out had Jesus um, not been praised when he entered Jerusalem, and we talked about the significance of that. Uh, We've talked about church rocks and how the significance of saying to Peter, "Up on this rock I'll build my church and what that meant and how that impacts us. And so today, we're going to go back and talk about how God provides, but it happens with a stick, sort of, kind of. And I showed you the stick when I came out here of of what you can do with a stick. There's other things you can do with it. Take a look at the uh, screen and see the importance of a stick. Hello, my young son. What do you got there? Daddy, remember that moisturizer I gave you? Yes. That was really for Mommy. No kidding. Don't worry about it. It's okay. That's what moms do. For the record, I got my own gift. But you guys have fun on opening day. Andy. I wanted to give you something just from me. A stick. How about that? A stick. Happy birthday. Thank you, my son. I like this stick. Come on. How cool is that kid? Jim, it's a stick. A monkey could drag in a stick. (laughs) I like my stick. Hey. Hey. What's that? A birthday present from Kyle. Oh, that is so sweet. Is bugs on it? I can put it in the garage. No, 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 you kidding me? This is my birthday present. I think it's got a lot of potential. Oh. <laughs> Just the two of us. We can make it if we try. Things might come to those who wait, not to those who wait too late. we got to go for all the time, just the two of us. underestimate the power what you do with a stick <laughs> and not just any stick but particularly in the hands of Moses because for him that stick that staff that he wandered the desert with as it has been described in scripture becomes the rod of God and once again that comes into play today as we think about um, how God works and how God moves and so if you kept your Bibles open and hopefully you did if not reopen them uh, to Exodus 17 and let's take a look what's going on here. Because the first thing that you see when you look at the passage is that we are between a rock and a hard place. You've all been there, right? You've all been between a rock and a hard place, or at least felt like you have been. Look at verse 1. The entire Israelite community left the wilderness of sin, moving from one place to the next according to the Lord's command. They camped and refit them, but there was no water for the people to drink. The problem is simple. They have no water to drink. That is a problem. And if you look and think about the passage, although the location is uncertain, the general consensus among scholars is that Rephidim was located about 30 miles southeast of the Wilderness of Sin. Now for many of you, you've spent time in the Wilderness of Sin. For some of you, it's a favorite tourist destination, and AAA, sends out stuff on it all the time. But it is actually probably less than 20 miles from Mount Sinai, near the Sinai Peninsula. And they get there, and they are in the middle of an area where there's just no water. And you have to remember that Moses is moving millions of people. And as they're moving these people out, they have to have the things that they need to survive. Water certainly is one of them. And so they arrive there, and they have a problem. And it's a real problem. There's nothing to drink. According to uh, National Geographic, people can survive up to seven days without water. 45 days without food. Now, most of us don't want to try that. Um, I don't recommend that. Um, But these people have gotten there and they're thirsty, but it hasn't been seven days yet, but they're still thirsty. And here they are, and they start complaining. And the issue really does revolve around a basic necessity of life. It's not a want, it's a need. So that is legitimate. But here's what you need to go back and take a close look at, or at least remember in the context, is that they journeyed to this place According to the commandment of the Lord. Remember, I just read that according to God's command. That means that he guided them there. We know that the children of Israel are traveling with a uh, pillar of fire at night, a cloud by day. God is in front of them and he is moving them. And so when you begin to understand this passage, you've got to slow down long enough and understand that this is the very place that God put them. And God knew when he put them there, there was nothing there to drink. Now, that slows up a little bit of how we blow through scripture, right? Because this is a moment where we have to come to grips with the fact that sometimes God moves us into moments when we're going to be forced to trust him. They're not an accident. God knows exactly where we are. This is a moment for the children of Israel, all of them, that God has moved them to this place. He has guided them to this place. Cloud and fire, cloud and fire, and he has placed them here. They have camped here, but there's no water. It's not a surprise to God. Once again, they're in a moment where God is testing them and bringing them to a moment where they're going to have to decide how they're going to respond. And God does that in our lives. And so the next time that you find yourself between a rock and a hard place, don't panic. The next time you find yourself in a situation it seems bleak don't don't panic it doesn't mean that the needs not there and it doesn't mean that the needs not real but it also means that just because you're there god hasn't forgotten about you sometimes honestly when you're in a tough situation don't you feel like god's forgotten about you a little bit don't you feel like sometimes maybe he's not treating you as fair as you wish he would There are moments that we all have dealt with that. All of us have. Everybody in this room. In those moments recognize the fact that God is God and God is still in charge. And what's going on here is not a mistake. And they're between a rock and a hard place because that's exactly where God wanted them for some reason. When you face struggles. When you face moments that are tough. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ, you are not there by accident and you are not there alone. And that's good news. And you need to remember that and hold on to that because sometimes by holding on to it and remembering that, it gets you to that next breath, that next moment, that next drink. That's where they are right now, between a rock and a hard place. The second thing that I want you to see, though, is that while God brings them there, there's a response that needs to happen. They're going to react to however the situation is, whatever the circumstances are, they're going to react just like we react. And so there's a right response and a wrong response. And so I want you to start with this, the wrong response. Reacting with rocks in the head. Reacting with rocks in the head. This is um, not a good moment for them. Look at verse 2. So the people complained to Moses, give us water to drink. Why are you complaining to me, Moses replied to them. Why are you testing the Lord? But the people thirsted there for water. They grumbled against Moses, and they said, why did you bring us out of Egypt to kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst? Now, as we look at it, realize they're thirsty. No doubt about it. They need water. We talked about that. That's a need. God's aware of the need. He's brought them to where they are. They're thirsty right now. And if you were to go back and go back a chapter or two, you'll find out that the Israelites have turned on Moses before. This is not the first time they've complained. And so we read in verse 3, in verse 2, so the people complained to Moses. The word for complain indicates that they seriously quarreled with Moses. So it wasn't just a little bit of a whining. This is a serious complaint. They are upset, they are angry, and they are complaining. But when you get to verse 3, it says this, but the people thirsted there for water and they grumbled against Moses. This word indicates that they've now grown hostile. They are discontent. They're angry angry. They are rejection. This is an attack of a dissatisfied people. And I bring you back to what I said a moment ago. You've got to remember to understand what's going on here that this is a place that God has brought them. This is a moment that God has brought them to. And if you're following them, and you can try to get into the story and immerse yourself in the story a little bit, and you're part of this group, this children of Israel group that's traveling, you've seen the cloud. You've seen the pillar of fire. And I would like to think, if it's me, if I get up tomorrow morning and I say, God, where do I want to go today? And there is a cloud that just hovers in front of me and he says, follow the cloud. I think I would follow that cloud to wherever it stops. And when I got there, I don't think I'd walk away going, well, I wonder how I got here. I think I'd say, oh, God brought me here. And then at night, if there's a pillar of fire, a column of fire out in the middle of the desert, and I'm following it, I would tend to think, as I looked at it, "Ah, yep, okay, I'm still where God wants me to be. I probably would get nervous if I didn't see the cloud or I didn't see the fire. And so God had given them some pretty simple directions. But here they are, this is where they've gotten to. And they had to have known that where they were, is where God had brought them. See, and, and that's what I was trying to get, get you to understand. They're not sitting around going, well, you know, Moses can't read a map. You know, Moses' GPS must have busted. You know, they're not having those kind of discussions. These are discussions that are now coming up because they are now where God took them, brought them, told them to stop. Most of the people are on page with that. This is about them not liking it which changes the complexity of the story, but also reveals some things about us. Um, and so they complain. And as they complain, look at verse 2 and look at verse, two, uh, verse 3. They, they brought a complaint to Moses, and then within a verse, once those complaints started being unleashed, they went from complaining to Moses to against Moses. What's the significance of that? Because it got personal. See, you might have something that you don't like about somebody. Or you might have a problem that you want to address with somebody. And you complain to them. But there's a very fine line in relationship as you deal with people. Where all of a sudden you quit complaining to them and you start complaining against them. And this is a moment in scripture that is pivotal. And once again, the moment that God had brought them to. Because now they are complaining against him, not to him. See, I think there's a difference. If they came to Moses and said, you know, hey, there's no water, what are we going to do? What does the Lord want us to do? What's the Lord intend? That's a different conversation, right? That's not what happened. Because I already told you, they complained, and they complained angrily so much so that Moses reacted with a hey, you know, don't don't complain to me and, and don't test the Lord. And then with that, they didn't like his answer. They didn't like what they heard. So what did they do next? They turned the complaints and they complained against him. In other words, they made it personal. They made it a personal attack. And so complaining at this point starts revealing what's going on in the hearts of the children of Israel. And complaining when it's done with such an attitude reveals a person's heart, any heart. Which is why complaining is such an interesting thing to look at. Because in this case, when Moses says, why are you testing the Lord? What he's saying is, you doubt his ability to take care of you? And that's the question that Moses rolled back at them. Why are you complaining to me? Do you not think that God can take care of you here in this place? But that's not the end of the story. Because the last verse I read, on verse 7. It was so bad that Moses renamed the place as a reminder of what happened. Verse 7, he named the place Massa. And Meribah, because the Israelites complained, because they tested the Lord, saying, is the Lord among us or not? This moment is a big deal. This is a big deal in the journey for the children of Israel. This is a big deal for their being obedient to God. It's a big deal for us to look at as we begin to understand how to process God. Because when we are discontent or dissatisfied, then there's something going on within us. And there's a right way and a wrong way to handle that and there's something good that we need to do and something that if we're not careful we stop into a trap and we all have been there. And so when the discontentment comes, the first question to ask yourself is, are you discontent at what the Lord has provided or are you not content with how you're reacting to it? And those are two different things. And the difference between the two is huge. In the case of the Israelites, they don't like where God has placed them, and they're not sure, or at least according to how they're complaining, they're not sure God's going to provide. This becomes a crisis of faith. And how we respond when we're dissatisfied speaks volumes about whether our attitude is right and what God's going to do next. In this particular case, the children of Israel's reaction They've reacted with rocks in their head. They have made a boneheaded choice. And they have chosen poorly. There's a study that came out a few years ago where Dr. Irvin Braverman, who is a dermatologist and director of medical residence at Yale Medical School, was concerned about some of the things that are going on in the development and the teaching and instructions of medical students. Because we live in a world now where information is instantaneous and we process quickly and... Dr. Braverman was concerned because in our fast-paced, highly energized social media generation, we want information quickly, we want to move to the next thing. And he was trying to get across to his students, you need to slow down a little bit. Listen to your patients. See what's going on. And don't just stop or default with the first answer. So he came up with the most low-tech solution you could come up with. This comes out of Yale. He now takes each of his classes to the art galleries there. And he takes his classes into the art galleries, and when they get to the art galleries, the instruction is simple. We're going to spend the next 30 minutes studying this painting. And then we're going to talk about what's in that painting, and I want you to tell me everything you see in the painting. I want you to really look at it. Not a quick look, not a quick glance, uh, not on on your media device. Look at it trying to teach them to learn to observe. And what he found was that their ability to describe patients and their ailments and what the patients were asking and what they needed improved dramatically. So much so that they've expanded the program now and it becomes now a mandatory program across the Yale University medical training process. But not just that. Harvard has picked it up. So have five other schools that have taken this prototype and done something with it. And here's the results. Their observational skills have improved, according to their stats, however they're tracking it, anywhere from 10 to 25 percent because they've learned to slow down, see, really see, and react correctly. Back to the passage. What's going on? They're thirsty. They've just escaped. They're living outside of the rule of the Pharaoh for the first time in a long, long time. They're stepping into the unknown. That'll scare you. They're following leaders that they haven't known very long. That'll scare you. They got this whole fire and pillar of fire at night and cloud in the day. That's kind of spooky, right? They've already had their backs against the sea, and the sea has opened up. So I mean, God is doing some miraculous stuff. But every step they're taking is taking them into the unknown. And not to give them a pass, but that helps us understand it, right? When God takes you into the unknown, when he stretches you beyond the norm, that can be tough. Well, that's what's going on here. But yet they come to a moment when once again they're faced with a need and God has brought them there. So apparently God has brought them there to see how much they're going to trust him, how much they're going to react. And they don't. Because at some point they began to react and when they started reacting together and they started reacting with the emotion of the moment and they let the feeling get away from them, then the reaction was too strong. And it crossed the line from being that concerned complaint, which is very legit, into a personal attack against Moses and a lack of trust against God. And that's where it becomes sin. And for all of us, we run that risk. In every type of encounter, in every situation we find ourselves in, we all run that same kind of risk. And so there have been times in our life that we've gotten it right. There's been other times that we've blown it horribly, right? You've all been there. That's because we know what it's like. And when we move into unknown environments, it gets a little bit more frightening. And we feel the pressure on. That's what the children of Israel are right now. And so they react not so well with rocks in their head. But there is another reaction which is the rock-solid reaction, which is the right response that we find in Exodus 17.4. It says this, Then Moses cried out to the Lord, What shall I do with these people? In a little while, they will stone me. Now, I think that's interesting. Because in a minute, he's going to hit a rock. He doesn't know it yet, but he's going to hit a rock. So I like the the interplay on, uh, it's just me. Anyway, um, but his cry to the Lord has the right attitude. Now, at first read, you can say Moses is complaining to God. Now, it, the language doesn't seem to indicate that. This is legit. This is fear. This is based out of concern. This is based out of responsibility. Uh, this is based out of a helpless dependence. Because you got to understand that For Moses, he's done what God told him to do. He's followed the fire. He's followed the cloud. This is where God says stop. For Moses, it's as simple as there's no option here. I'm not going any further. But there's no water. And the people aren't happy. God, what are we going to do? And so this cry is a cry from the heart, but it's a true prayer, not a complaint. And Moses takes his complaint, his prayer, his cry to the right person. When he says, they're almost ready to stone me. I mean, he wasn't just speaking figuratively here. It was not uncommon for leaders in this era of time to end up at the bottom of a stone heap. If it didn't go well, if people were upset with you, they would stone you and they would kill you. And so there was definitely a threat. Fear caused the children of Israel to make demands. Moses' fear sent him to God. And that is always the right response. When you face situations that are uncertain, disorienting, confusing, stressful. Do you turn and lash out to those that are closest to you because they're the closest to you? Or do you take it to the source where real help comes? And that source is God. And in this passage. You discover an incredible way to react, an incredible way to start thinking and processing the world around you. Because when you take it to God, you show your dependence upon him and you go to the one source that you can go to, that there's an answer. Again, when you reverse engineer the passage, where they are is not an accident. God knew they were there. He placed them there. That means that God knew there was no water there. That means he had a plan this was as much about putting them in an environment to see how they would react and respond and what they would do as it was about anything else. Could it be? Is it possible? Is it conceivable? Is it anywhere in your own personal theology and your own discovery of what it means to follow Jesus that God could do the same with you today? Do you think he could put you in environments and situations around certain people, in certain places, because it is as much about how you respond and how you trust and lean into him? as it is anything else could it be that that's what it means to become the best version of you there's an old fable that's told an old story that's told that a man one day had a vision and in his vision god came to him and said i have a task for you And the man said what's that task and god said here's the task and he took him out and there was a massive rock on the side of a hill and he said this is your task i want you to push the rock God looked at the rock and said, that rock is big. God said, I know. That rock is heavy. God said, I know. The man said, it might take me forever to push that rock. God said, I know. And you want me to push that rock? And God said, yes. And so every day the man would get up. He would walk out to that massive rock. He would place his hands against it, lean into it, and push, and push, and push. And all day, he'd push. In the sun, in the rain, hot, cold, seasons of the year, pushed. Rock never moved. Never moved. But every day, he kept getting up, and he kept pushing the rocks. Years passed. One day, an acquaintance of him came by and saw him grunting and leaning and pushing and sweating, trying to push the rock, and said, hey, can I ask you a question? I said, sure. Anxious for a little break, leaned up against the rock, placed a hand on it. What can I help you with? He said, ever since I've known you, you've been coming out here every day pushing on this rock. And he says, from what I've seen, this rock hasn't moved at all. I mean, not a bit. And yet you do this every day. Why do you do that? And according to the story, the man said, because God told me. The guy said, that's good enough? The man said, yeah. The man said, yeah, it wouldn't be good enough for me. And his friend walked away. The man thought about that. And that night, when he laid down for the first time as he prayed to God, he said, God, why do you have me pushing that rock? But he got no answer. Next morning, he woke up, and his prayer was the same. God, why do you have me pushing that rock? No answer. But he went out, and he pushed the rock. Next night, he laid down, prayed a different prayer. God, why do you have me pushing that dumb rock? No answer. Got up the next morning, same prayer. God, do I really have to go out and push that dumb rock? No answer, so he went out and pushed the rock. And finally, he decided one morning, I'm not going to do it. Doesn't matter. Not making any progress. Maybe I misheard God. Maybe God's not even going to speak to me anymore because every time I've asked him, he's not giving me an answer. He hasn't talked to me since he gave me the instruction go push the rock. So he didn't go. And God showed up again and appeared before him. He said, What are you doing? He said, Well, I'm taking a day off. God said, Why are you taking a day off? The man thought for a moment, and he was honest. He said, I don't want to push the rock today. And God said, why not? Didn't I ask you to push the rock? Yes. Have you been pushing the rock? Yes. God said, I know you have, and I've been very pleased. God said, but you just needed a day off? The man said, yes. God said, did you ask me for a day off? The man said, yes. God said, no, you didn't. You asked me why you were pushing the rock. You asked me why you were pushing the dumb rock. You also asked me some other things that I won't repeat. But you didn't ask me for a day off. You didn't ask me for rest. Then God leaned in and said, Did you feel like you needed a rest before you started asking me for it? And the man thought He said, No. And God said, Because you were doing what I asked you to do. And in being obedient, I gave you rest. It's when you started to complain and gripe that you've run into a problem. And today, you're not pushing the rock. And the man thought. He said, God, could I ask you something? God said, sure. Said, Why do you want me to push the rock? God said, that's a different way to ask a question, isn't it? That's a sincere, heartfelt question. Let me tell you why. God came over to him, put his arm around him. He said, let's look in the mirror. See your shoulders? See how much broader your shoulders are now than when you started pushing that rock? He said, Take my hand. You feel the calluses and the strength in your hand just in the grip when you close your hand? He said, look at your arms. Your arms are strong. You've developed muscles through your arms and back that you never had before. Look at your legs. He said, you know how to push, and you know how to push, and you know how to push, and you generate so much force through your legs. He said, although the rock hasn't moved, do you realize that what's been happening for all of these years is you have been getting ready and developing and getting stronger and being faithful, and now, now, you may be ready for me to use you? The man looked back at God and said, if you'd have just told me that at the beginning... I'd have done it with a different heart. God said, really? Most don't and you wouldn't have. It's about being obedient. And the man said, what do you want me to do today? And God said, go push the rock. And tomorrow, I have something new for you to do. And he did. And God did. And he does the same with you. I can't begin to explain why you are where you are. I can't begin to explain away or fix your situation. I can't begin to tell you why it is that you do what you do. But I do know this, that God knows. And how you respond matters. And it means everything. Which brings me to the last thing. Notice the rock that gives life. Look at verse 5. This is how God responded to their need. The Lord answered Moses, go on ahead of the people and take some of the elders of Israel with you. Take the staff you struck the Nile with in your hand and go. And so God tells Moses to get in front of the people. Maybe that's where the pillar of fire is. Maybe that's where the cloud stays. I don't know. But they're supposed to take the, the elders, the leaders of the people from each tribe take that staff, that stick that God has used now so many times in front of Pharaoh to part a sea, to turn a river to blood, at every moment, God has used that as a sign for Moses of what he needed to give up to be the man God wanted him to be. And so now, once again, Moses takes that rod. And God is doing something else here. He's being very gracious to Moses and he's standing up for the leader that he had chosen to lead the Israelites. And God allowed Moses to stand in front of the people and God stood in front of Moses. In verse six, it says this. I'm going to stand there in front of you on the rock at Horeb. And when you hit the rock, water will come out of it and people will drink. And Moses did this in the sight of the elders of Israel. Later in Psalms, Psalm 105:41, we have a description of this event that sounds a little bit bigger than what we just read. It says this in Psalm 105:41: He opened the rock, and the waters gushed out, and they ran in the dry places like a river. Horeb is probably a rock face; it's like a mountain. And so when Moses walks up to the mountain. He basically walks, and God says, you just get behind me. Do what I tell you to do. And so as the people are looking up, best they could see, they see the elders, and they see Moses. They see Moses go to the rock, and God says, strike the mountain with the stick. Now, some of you have seen mountains. In Florida, we're used to them, Mount Dora. (laughs) they're, They're big, they're big. But some of you have seen real mountains, real mountains. You know what a mountain looks like. You you drive through the mountains, your ears pop. Uh, The temperature changes on mountains. You know, mountain roads just wind and turn and make you crazy. But, you know, some of you have seen real mountains. So imagine, if you would a man with a few others standing in front of millions of people, most of them trying to get a look, and those that weren't close enough to see were having to get the message from up front because social media was not recording this. And Moses walks to a mountain. And people can only see pieces of this, okay? Even those leaders are there can only catch glimpses of this. But basically, between that rock and Moses is God, and God says, now what I want you to do is I want you to swing, and I want you to hit the rock. Just hit it. Now, again, if you're Moses, you've been... Far enough along with God at this point where you know you've seen God firsthand do some pretty cool things. So I don't think Moses had a problem with this. But I think Moses also was pretty entertained by the solution. Really? This is what we're gonna do? I'm gonna hit a mountain with a rock with my rod. Okay, fine. And Moses takes it, and I don't know if he was stylish about it and really wound up. And I don't know if he did it like this. I don't know if he did it for dramatic effects or more people could see him. But whatever he did, he strikes the rock. And as he does, in my mind's eye, the rod nearly gets torn out of his hand. Because the minute he strikes the rock, water gushes forth. And so now you're standing there, and you've stick it, taken this rod, and you've jammed it up against what is a solid face of a mountain. And behind you comes this wall of water. Bursting out. You ever, you ever had a leak in a water line? That you're trying to stop, trying to put a hand on it. It's just squirting everywhere. Okay, that's nothing. And this blast of water begins, and Moses steps back. I think the leader step back. And it continues to blast out, and people begin to watch, and they begin to see, and it begins to run, as the psalm says, and it runs into rivers. And for all of these millions of people who are standing there waiting, All they know is that their leader has gone up to a mountain, hit it with a stick. In the middle of the desert, there's now a river. That's how God provides. Why? Because Moses was faithful. The people were not. And God blessed the faithfulness of one. And the people who weren't willing to be faithful, were blessed because of the obedience of one. See, God rocks. He really does. And he provides and he does stuff in ways that we never thought he could do. See, sometimes I know it's tough because you live life every day and you just say, I'm doing the best that I can, but nobody's doing it with me. No one's getting this thing right. It is so difficult to do what I'm doing. You be obedient. God rocks. He'll take what you do You be obedient. He'll bless you, but he'll bless others with it. Be faithful. Walk that fine line. Don't complain against him. Take him your need. But recognize that where you are is where he's placed you, and there's something he's wanting to do with you in the midst of that. Don't ever allow the situation to take your focus from him and decide that he can't provide or he's not going to do something for you in the midst of it. Instead, use it as that moment and say, God, what am I going to do in this moment? Because obviously you want something for me in the middle of this. Don't spend your life focused on all those things that are going on around you that can distract you from God. Let it bring you to God. You can complain to God. Just don't complain against him. And there's such a fine line in that. Most of us don't have the fine art of complaining down. Because we start to complain, and then we whine, and then we gripe, then we grumble, then we get ticked. And it gets away from us. And before you know it, you've lost perspective on what's really going on. And here at the end of the day is always what's going on in your life. God is trying to make you the best version of you. When you got up this morning, God's goal for your day was To make you the best you that you could possibly be. To be the you that you were created to be. To be the you that he died to make you. That was his goal for you today. And along the way, you're going to have a lot of interactions. You're going to have a lot of opportunities to see, do, and think a lot of things. But at the end of the day, that is the plan. And when you're obedient and when you flesh it out, God will bless you and he will bless others because God rocks. There was once a wealthy and curious king the king had a large boulder placed in the middle of the road. And because he was indeed curious, he then hid nearby to see if anyone would remove the gigantic rock from the middle of the road. The first people to pass the rock were some of the king's wealthiest merchants and members of his court. And rather than moving it, they simply just walked around it. They went out of their way and they just walked around it. And as they did, the king heard a couple of them grumbling. Some, loudly, blaming the king for not maintaining the roads. The infrastructure should be better. But not one of them stopped and tried to move the boulder. The king watched this take place all day. And then finally, a peasant came along. And his arms were full of vegetables that he was taking home. As he got near the boulder, rather than simply walking around it as others had, the peasant stopped and he looked at it and surveyed it for just a moment. And he put down his load. He put the vegetables down on the side of the road and accidentally knocked the vegetables off into the dirt. Scampered to kind of pick them up, dusted them off best he could, put them back in the, in the basket bag once again, and walked over to the rock and he began to try to push it. It was heavy. But unlike the story I told you a minute ago, this rock did move. And eventually, the peasant was able, by himself, with no help from anyone else, to get the rock off the side of the road. Sweating, tired, exhausted, he went back over and he picked up the bag of vegetables that he was going to carry now home, and as he w- began to walk away, he looked, and he noticed for the first time where the rock had been, and there below the rock was something else. It was a chest. The chest that the king had placed there before the rock was placed there. So the peasant went over and he dug in and he opened it up, he found that the chest was stuffed full of gold coins, the reward for moving the rock from the road. And the king came out and congratulated him. and the peasant said, "I can't accept this. I just did the right thing." And the king said, "Because you did the right thing, and you thought of others, this reward is yours. Every obstacle presents you and me an opportunity to become a better version of ourselves. Every obstacle provides us a better opportunity to become the person that we were created to be. So what do you do with it? Now what? Ah, We talked about it already. First thing, slow down. Slow down. We move fast. Our world is fast. We want instant answers. We want instant solutions, and we're very impatient. In the world we live in, we say we want change. If it doesn't happen in 24 hours, we're upset. If our lives are a mess, and they've gotten met over a mess over a period of time. We want it fixed yesterday. Not understanding that it may take you just as long to unravel the mess you made because it took you that many years to make the mess. Slow down, take a deep breath, and embrace the moment that you have because it's the only one that you've got, and see what it is that God wants to do, which brings me to the second thing, see, see. First thing is slow down, second thing is see, see what God is doing. This is the moment that you come back and we talk about what we've talked about before. Um, We've been using these rocks each week. Yeah. Yeah. You should check this before you start to make sure that the word you're going to flip around is the word you want. This time it worked. Um, see, see what memories that God brings back to mind the next time that you face a moment where things are tough. Go back into life and take inventory on the things that God has done. Go back and make sure that you're understanding what it is that God is trying to do around you because each moment that he gives you is a moment that is designed to grow you and make you better, a better version of of you, See what God's doing, and don't be fearful of that process. And then finally, last, then react. Then react. Move forward into the future. Understand that everything that God is doing in your world is to give you, and the word we're using is ministry, but it means impact. God is going to use your life to impact the lives of others. God's going to use your life to bless others. And you exist for one reason, to serve him. And as you serve him, you will impact the lives of others. And so when you begin to react and understand that your reaction is not huh <laughs> If I were to hit this and water were to come out of it right now, <laughs> and we actually talked about that a little bit in the back. We talked about setting a garden hose up. And I was going <laughs> to tap it and fire something out. That would have been cool, though, right? It would have been cool, right? (laughs) But then also, understand that how you react builds momentum for the next thing. And, And this is important because if you don't react well, you still build momentum. It's just in the wrong direction. If you don't react in a God way, you build momentum that takes you away from God. You move away from being that person that you were created to be. You move away from that God moment, the moment that he was trying to get you to. Because one way or the other, you're building momentum in your life. I mean, your life may be screeching momentum-wise to a to a, to a, a horrible halt. That's where you're headed. You're, building, you're racing to get there. Or your life can be building momentum to become this person that you were created to be. Jesus paid a high price so that you would understand that he really does rock. And we've remembered that. And we've discovered that on that stability, he's designed the body of Christ, you and I, to make a difference in the world. We've been reminded that the rock couldn't hold him. That the rock cave couldn't keep him. And no matter what the situation, no matter what the circumstance, God provides. And God will get you where you need to go if you'll trust him. For some of you in the room, it means that it's time for you to get serious about Jesus and decide that you believe some of the things that we've been talking about over this series. For some, that moment to believe, trust, and follow Jesus, salvation, accepting Jesus, whatever you want to call it, that's where you are right now. You've flirted with God, you've talked about God, you've kicked the tires on this thing called faith, but you've never gone all in. And today, you need to do that. And you could be watching, you could be downloading it, you could be in the room this morning. But before you walk out the door this morning, take a moment, take your worship flyer and just say, I want to accept Jesus, I want to invite Jesus into my heart. Put it in the giving box and way out the door. Make sure we have a contact number, we get a hold of you, so we can contact you and talk about that decision. It's your choice. It's your decision. Brothers in the room, it's just time to have that moment where you understand that what we do and how we live is so important. And this is your God moment. What kind of, what kind of surface, what kind of foundation have you built your life on? Are you build it on the rock? Are you discovered he is a rock? Have you discovered yet that he does rock? Because he does. And that's the invitation he gives to you. Start fleshing out the now whats and make those reality in your life. Let's pray. God, at the end of the day, there is you and there will be us and we will stand before you and we will give an account for what we do and how we live. I pray that we would live our lives in such a way that when we get to that moment, we would do so with a confidence and boldness that simply comes from knowing that we haven't been perfect. But we have brought our best. And in doing so, we have tried to refocus our lives and make sure that we've lived our lives in a way where we've kept our sights on you. Where they need to be. And been willing to see you and trust your hand in every situation. Heavenly Father, this day, we will walk out of here, and we will walk out of here making a choice. For some, we will make the choice once again to not listen, to reject who you are. Others will decide that it's their day. It's a day to believe and trust and follow. And others who are trying to get this thing called faith right and trying to flesh it out will make a decision of how they're going to react react and live in the world around them. And I pray that we would remember the lessons of this day Heavenly Father, each memory, each moment would drive us forward into serving you, doing ministry, and build momentum as we become the very best version of ourselves. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. All right, this week is a busy week.